Welcome to Music and the Church, a podcast about thinking bigger in our faith, our ministries, and our churches. I'm Dr. Sarah Bariza, and I'm the Minister of Music at the First Congregational Church of St. Louis. Today's guest is pianist and composer Deanna Witkowski, and I am so excited to share this interview with you. Deanna is a fantastic musician. She's won the Great American Jazz Piano Competition, she's been a guest on Marion McPartland's radio show Piano Jazz, and many of Deanna's works are sacred. Her most recent album, Makes the Heart to Sing, features her arrangements of hymns for her jazz trio, arrangements that she's also released as piano accompaniments, like for congregational singing, and she's written a number of congregational songs. Her hymn, We Belong to God, won the annual hymn search for the Hymn Society of the U.S. and Canada last year, and her song, We Walk in Love, is included in the Justice Choir songbook, and uh, my choir has sung that piece several times as an introit, and it is really wonderful. Deanna has also worked as a church musician. She was the music director at All Angels Church in New York, and now she's often a guest musician in churches, which is one thing we talk about today. She is so often a guest at churches, so she has good insight into how we churches can be good hosts. We also start off this conversation by talking about hymn arrangements and congregational singing. Remember, all the resources that Deanna and I mention in this interview are included in the show notes at musicandthechurch.com slash 31. And if you're enjoying this podcast, well, first of all, thank you for listening. And also, please share it with your friends who are interested in church ministry. I'm curious what uh, what your thoughts are on supporting congregational singing, because this is something that you've written about and that you've done a lot of, and you have this new collection of jazz hymn arrangements out that are designed for congregational singing. I'm thinking of like in your in in your downbeat article, like you actually mm. get into like really pragmatic, like you know, think about think about like um, mm-hmm. uh, harmonization and tension and release, and how there's so much that you can change mm-hmm. while still the melody sure. is continuing. Well, you know, one thing that I feel like, I mean, I, I grew up moving around a lot. <laughs> um, I moved 11 times growing up. And one of the things that I I think in a way, I mean, although I don't recommend doing that, <laughs> that was yeah, good, no, uh, um, is that, you know, we went to different churches, obviously, because, well, I went to church all growing up, and it wasn't always the same denomination but you know singing was always something that was consistent I mean through everywhere that I went that I you know Mm -hmm. remember and I think there are some people who maybe grew up with hymn tunes I mean I did and sometimes I think singing something a million times I think it's great in a way because it sort of becomes embedded in you but it can also be the kind of thing like it's almost like it you don't digest it you know it's like it just you have all these words they go by really quickly if you're talking about a strophic hymn mm. and so one thing I like to think about when I'm arranging say something that's familiar I mean it doesn't have to be a hymn but let's say it is is I mean looking at a particular text that will go with a hymn tune and and thinking about um, what words do I maybe want to emphasize or often it'll just be having a little more space to breathe or just to stop (laughs) for a minute because again you know um, 
just looking at the way hymns are written, I mean, there's really no spots that are written in there to breathe, although everyone kind of figures out, you know, where to breathe at the end of a phrase or something. Yeah, but it just, it's like you start right. and you go for four seconds. Right. And, and, and to me, I mean, I, I think I'm also, I primarily identify myself as an instrumentalist and a composer. So I, I get overwhelmed by a lot of text pretty easily. And, you know, I think it's also just because of my own faith journey. And um, I mean, I, so I've done a lot of Lexio Divina, you know, reading where you stay with something for a long time. And it's hard for me to just sort of go through <laughs> a lot of verses. Can you can you tell us tell us more about that practice? I'm just sure. barely familiar with it. Sure. Well, um, so Lexio Divina is where you're taking like, say, it's a psalm. Um, or I mean, it can be really any, it can be anything, but usually it's going to be like, or maybe a a story like a parable or a gospel story and basically you know maybe after reading the passage one time going back and rereading slowly and just staying with a word or a short phrase that resonates with you and then and then even just praying with that that phrase or that word or seeing what it brings up and asking God, you know, why is this image of a tree, you know, being strong as it's planted by the water? Like, you know, why is this making me feel a particular way? Or how do I want to be like this tree? Or, you know, it can also be kind of image-based in that way that you're, you know, identifying, say, with, uh, like, in Ignatian spirituality, I love the practice of imaginative prayer, which I think is similar to Lexio Divina, where you try to put yourself in a story so it could be, you know, Christ healing the woman who's hemorrhaging. Like one time, I remember the first time I kind of did this practice intentionally, I was working with that passage and I just immediately thought of myself as being a friend of this woman and trying to get her to Jesus. And then it was like, what happened? You know, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the whole thing, after, after Christ turns around and sees her, he looked at me. That was something that I stayed with in that particular passage. So I really, um, it's not that I don't, you know, love words <laughs> because I do, but I like to be able to sit with poems or readings and, and that kind of thing is not something that I think then necessarily com- means that I go ahead and write a whole ton of more words. I mean, I write my if I'm going to write some new piece that comes out of that, it, it might have something something to do with just a couple of chords or, a, you know, just a line or something that's really repetitive. So, or it could be a whole song. But in particular, I feel like um, with hymn tunes, you know, creating arrangements of them is gives an opportunity for the text to kind of deepen if you're doing it in a way where you're really thinking about that. You know, this is making me think about how my experience in working with the liturgy is probably very different from a lot of people who are coming into the service because I'm looking at the scriptures in advance and reading multiple times and then thinking about like, you know, here are 10 different hymns that I could choose that relate to this. Oh, well, I'm going to do these and oh, I'm going to do, you know, these with the choir and really kind of like dwelling with, mm-hmm. with those scriptural passages in a way that... If you're in church, you know, for 60 minutes, it kind of just like 
goes by you right. in a flash. Right. And, you know, I, and I'm, I don't want to say like one experience is, be- is better than another because, you know, most people aren't sitting around planning the music <laughs> service, you know. But I feel like it's it's a really wonderful spiritual practice, at least on my end, because I'm able to dwell with the scriptures in a in a more lengthy, in terms of time, kind of way. Like I can kind of just sit with them for an afternoon. Right. And it's my own devotional practice as well as something that sure. I give yeah. to the congregation through through my hymn selection. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think it's also, I mean, I don't think it's that every single word or phrase has to be, you know, imprinted on our hearts. And I think the fact that like, that like you take the time to do all that, I mean, probably translates into that some of that comes across you know, whether it's um, with a particular phrase of text or not, or even just, you know, a, a sense of something like, say, it's, you know, Christ the Good Shepherd, and it's a sense of Christ taking care of us or guiding us or holding us or, you know, something more than uh, just particular text. But I also do believe, I mean, in traditions I grew up in, you know, we memorized a lot of scripture text. Yeah. Yeah. That's my background also. And I think... Lots of King James. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, but, and that can be, I mean, and again, and it's almost like, you know, sort of like bodily practices, say, you know, in traditions like in Catholicism or Episcopal churches, like, you know, when you, you kneel and you cross yourself and Mm -hmm. you do certain Mm -hmm. things. And you pray with your body. Yeah. So, you know, I think that having these things in somehow get inside of you, whether they're text or whether they're something you're you're physically doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And music, I, I mean, at least going back to the you know the classic Martin Luther, the singing is the sermon in the song, and and that's the way that that the sermon like lives on, mm-hmm. or even scriptures live on, because you repeat that text and you repeat that text in your mind as as you get your little earworm going, right, <laughs> and right. it just and it just goes, and it's. it's to me, in leading musical worship, like that's a, a really wonderful aspect of what I do with it. I'm giving people these texts and, you know, who knows how they li- live in them. But at least the, the opportunity is there for people to, to have this, to take this music with them. As I'm planning music to sing with little people in the church's nursery this year and to sing with the elementary school age kids at a weeknight meeting, I'm thinking like, well, what songs do I want these kids to have with them through the week? Uh, you know what what do I want to be like really deep in their uh in their unconscious like what do, what do I want to live there and and shape them and it's sure it's kind of and I think a lot especially at the nursery level yeah and I think <laughs> but... a lot of that doesn't have to do with just the text obviously I mean or just you know setting it I mean it has to do with like how yeah. singable is the text and are you going to remember the melody mm-hmm. you know so yeah, yeah. so if you have something that's like really you know a really strong melody that's easy to remember it's going to be easier to Mm -hmm. remember the the text that Mm -hmm. goes with it too yeah that's great it's absolutely great one of the other things that you do is you are a guest musician and you bring your ensemble your trio to churches quite a quite a bit and i'm curious if you can tell us about your experience as a guest musician coming into congregations that may or may not be familiar with a jazz style for their congregational singing um, mm-hmm. And then I'm also curious if you have pointers for pastors and music directors who are welcoming guest musicians into the church uh, so that we can be better at welcoming uh, mm-hmm. guest musicians. That's a good question. Not many people <laughs> ask the second question. 
<laughs> I'm sure there are things we can do to, to make the process smoother and, and support you better. Sure. Well, thanks for asking that. Um, well, yeah, so I do a lot of work as a guest music leader. Sometimes it's on my own. Um, sometimes it's with my trio. And um, so usually I, I try, I mean, I definitely offer, um, but I, I try to work with a music director ahead of time so that I'll ask, like, for instance, if it's a church that doesn't follow the liturgical year, say, or the lectionary, mm -hmm. um, I'll say, uh, are there specific themes you have for this season? Or, you know, are you following the church year? Are you looking at the lectionary? What's the, you know, whatever um, mm -hmm. general thing that you want to emphasize in the music. And if I have specific music that fits that, I will always, I just send like specific links to hear the music, um, specific links to the sheet music, and I have fully notated piano scores for everything. So, you know, even though when I come, I'm not going to be reading from the piano score, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm reading from a lead sheet, um, but it helps so that the music director, if they're not necessarily a jazz musician, they can rehearse this music with their choir, they can try it mm -hmm. out with their congregation yeah, before yeah. I get there. Um, and even on some things, like on that song you mentioned, We Belong to God, I, I have like a practice track. Um, and that's because often, you know, many churches where I go, the choir is not used to singing with bass and drums. So yeah, that way yeah. they can actually like just, you know, do their individual practicing with that to get a sense of what it might feel like so that they feel more comfortable when we get there. Um... And always having uh, the, the hymn arrangements, it's always been uh, something that's kind of easy to incorporate in many churches because I, I have arrangements for pretty standard hymn tunes. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it seemed like your, um, your make makes the heart to sing. You were intentionally choosing very widely used hymn tunes for your arrangements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was, you know, and actually, it, it partially, I was definitely keeping that in mind, but I also had developed a body of, again, all these hymn arrangements over the course of years and being a music director in different churches, or the experience of, like, I think the first track on there. Um, so I, I did a guest service at a Presbyterian church maybe two years ago, and and I remember, you know, suggesting specific things, but sometimes the pastor uh, will want a specific hymn. So mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. can't just say, oh, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> although, you know, I try to suggest things. But so in this one case, um, the pastor wanted uh, guide me out, oh, thou great Jehovah. And I didn't have an arrangement of it. Mm -hmm. So I created something for that particular day and then it became part of my repertoire and then we recorded it oh, so cool. some of those things have come about that way what suggestions do you have for pastors and church musicians who are welcoming guest musicians in how can we better support you or yeah. best support you a couple things come to mind i mean one thing and i get this sometimes i mean many churches i don't but um sometimes jazz gets lumped in with uh, say pop music in terms of thinking this is something easy that we can just like knock out 
in one rehearsal. Oh, boy. Um, and <laughs> so I'll have situations where I come somewhere and maybe I've, you know, I, I've sent all this stuff, all these links, and it's it's definitely happened to me a bunch of times where none of those links have been shared with choir members if they're singing a choral thing or... So I would suggest for one thing to remember that much of this music is taught orally and it's not necessarily if your choir, if they're all great readers, it doesn't necessarily translate <laughs> to mm -hmm. the, the music, you know, having a particular rhythmic feel that you want or even just feeling comfortable with, say, the harmonies. Um, mm -hmm. So again, Congregational music, it's a different thing, but if I'm writing out four-part harmonies that are more jazz harmonies, it's much more, some of it's close voicings, it's things where um, it takes some time for people to get used to what it, mm -hmm. it sounds like and what it feels like, and it's not all about just reading well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had an experience, this is an example, I one, I'm trying to make it pretty general, so... <laughs> So no one knows who they are, if I say. But um, I, you know, I had been commissioned to write a, a choral piece for a, a church. Uh, my trio was traveling there to do the piece with, with this choir and also to do a concert and a service. And that was in one state. And then I was in another state the following weekend with another choir actually singing the same piece that had just been premiered the week before by this other choir. So... The first church I went to, I would say the song was definitely more of a pop song and just in terms of phrasing in in the melody. And, you know, I had asked the director, like, what are some other things you've sung? Do you have audio of your choir? Try, I always try to get all this information for commission so I can get mm -hmm. a sense of yeah. level and, you know, all that. What size is the choir? So we decided I was going to write something that was mostly unison and then broke into two part. And it was a really, really small choir. And I, again, I sent audio. We had recorded this, had a practice track. And then we got there and I felt so bad <laughs> um, because the, the director of this particular choir was trying to teach everything like he hadn't shared the audio oh, um, dear. and then everyone he was trying to teach things by counting out like one eanda two eanda oh that's so hard whereas if, if oh I that's had so just, hard yeah it was like if i had just sung the phrase you know and had people repeat it back or if they had mm -hmm. heard it mm -hmm. It would have been so much easier so some of the rhythm you know we just decided okay let it slide but you know when you can't fit the words in like we have oh, to figure wow. out what to do and that, that's also a, a missed pedagogical opportunity in the sense of teaching right. by ear is a great way of helping the choir just relax into listening to each other rather than focusing so so just on their own part and not paying attention to anybody else exactly and then the you know the other thing because specifically in this case it's talking about syncopation and what it looks like on the page and what it looks like on the page is really can be a stumbling block because yeah, it yeah. can look pretty difficult you know i mean if you write out i mean if you're talking like contemporary mm -hmm. christian music and you write out you know a say a CCLI top 40 tune mm -hmm. or whatever, and you know, a soloist who's singing it. I mean, that's not necessarily something that if you, you write it down and transcribe it, that, you know, even musicians who are trained in a certain way, mm -hmm. it's, it's gonna come out <laughs> not as well as it would if someone just 
sings it, and then mm-hmm. has yeah has yeah. you repeat it. But but the following week, I came actually by myself to another church where we did the same piece, and they had all had the audio. Um, <laughs> and the way that the director had taught the music, I think, was very different. Um, so he wasn't, you know, at times, yes, we're subdividing if we're not all getting certain a certain rhythm, but it was it was much more like it just kind of organically mm. worked. So that was also good for me to see because um, I try to think about how can I, you know, deal with these different kinds of situations. And it's hard when I'm coming in just once. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> even to know what it's going to be like ahead of time. I bet this really gets into your training as a jazz musician where you have so much experience reading the room, basically, and, you know, f- figuring out what the sure. environment is and using your music to, to suit where people are. Um, and I'm thinking, like, in terms of congregational singing, where sometimes you can hear, like, oh, the congregation needs more support or oh, I bet I could actually drop out almost entirely or just really pare things mm-hmm. down because they are just shining right now and just really actively listening to, to what's going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. My trio played like last January at an Episcopal church in Virginia and we did like a morning service and then they did a jazz vespers and they combined with another local church um, to put a bigger choir together and then and then also just have a bigger congregation and I remember you know feeling like pretty amazed that people were just singing right away and this wasn't just hymn tunes I mean in fact I don't think we had any hymn tunes in in the Vesper service it was like original Mm -hmm. music and you know most of the congregation had never heard any of it before so you know in that case because I'm usually singing as well when I'm leading so I just you know move the microphone away and let everyone go and then there are other times where it's it's like when I'm playing with the rhythm section that's sort of dragging along Mm -hmm. and having to push things (laughs) you know but but yeah, it's always, and, and it can also be hard, even acoustically, you know, not knowing a space and sometimes not being able to hear. People may be singing and sometimes I really can't hear it, you know, from, from where I am. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's me at the organ that I play at right now. I, I usually can't hear yeah. anybody except in the choir loft because of how things are situated. And that's, that's hard because you're like, well, did the congregation not know this or is it just because I'm yeah. sitting down here in this little bit? Yeah. <laughs> to talk about composing for particular congregations is that something that you feel like you want to talk about sure so you know i actually feel like composing for specific groups of people is like the best i mean it's like the best thing because for one thing you're kind of like you're being local you're addressing your specific community you're creating something that's unique that's for them i think people maybe feel invested in it a little more than just saying you know here's my collection of jazz arrangements but but really you know i usually wrote those for specific situations but usually um those things that are so maybe unique to one place often translate to, you know, working in many other churches or or different settings. So 
when I was working at this first church I was music director at in New York at All Angels Church, we had three services every Sunday. Two were in the morning and one was at 5 p.m. And the 5 p.m. service had a gospel choir. We had a lot of people in that service who were homeless and um, the church served a meal after the, the service too. So a lot of the people would stick around for that. And then there was, there was really kind of a mix because some people who came to the morning services would also come to the evening. And then some people just wanted to be at this service because it was a little bit different than the morning. I mean, I would say in terms of, you know, style or musical style, I've never liked this idea in churches that say, oh, we have a traditional service and we have a contemporary service. And oh, I just don't yeah, understand yeah. Oh, that's it. That's so tricky. Um, because often, for, for one thing, then when I go to a church and or I'm looking for a church to come as a guest music leader, they often will lump me in the contemporary service, which, I mean, my music can work there, but it can also work in the traditional service. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But in anyway, when I was at All Angels, I, I wanted to kind of do two things. I mean, one was I wanted to have a shared repertoire that both kind of the morning and evening congregations could do together because we did have a lot of services oh, together cool. but i wanted to have some things that were kind of distinct because i mean we didn't have a gospel choir in the morning we had them in the evening so you know even the feel of say like um, the mass setting that i wrote for the evening service i think the first thing i wrote for them was a sanctus that i ended up recording on um my album called from this place that's from 2009 and, you know, because they, you know, we were either saying or singing, I don't remember if we probably sang some other setting before, I don't remember what it was, you know, the Sanctus every week, but I wanted it to have like a feel that was sort of, to me, more of the feel of that service. So I wrote something that was a little mm -hmm. bit, um, it was sort of like funk, R&B, a little bit and it was something that was simple enough so the choir worked on it and then we like we sang it i mean i know this wasn't liturgically correct but you know i think we may have sung it as a prelude <laughs> a couple times or something you know and then and then eventually like the congregation but, but that's a way of teaching the congregation yeah. and and then the congregation eventually just sang it with us and nobody needed to look at the mm -hmm. syncopations you know it I mean, mm -hmm. even though we had mm -hmm. the music they printed. Learned it by ear. And then, you know, I wrote a mass setting for the morning service that, I mean, I feel like some some of it um, is stuff that I still use. Some of it, not so much, but, but just the feel was a little, little different. I always wanted to, you know, and that was a situation where I, I was working in that church for a period of time. So I had a sense of, I mean, when I remember when I first came there, I spent a bunch of time just trying to figure out, well, what have they been singing? Oh, yeah. You know, and um, so it was like, because I'm not going to just throw a bunch of new things. Oh. Um, and that can be really time consuming if they don't have good records. And I'm, I'm saying this of like, I've spent right. a lot of hours this summer <laughs> figuring out what yeah. my new church knows congregation wise. Yeah. So I think that n that now that this goes back to the question you asked earlier of, you know, what are some things that churches can do to be welcoming to, you know, guest music leaders is, you know, I don't have the privilege to usually to be at a church for a period of time now where I get to know like, oh, okay, you know, they're, they're kind of used to like 
singing a lot of stuff without printed music. So doing, you know, my setting of Psalm 141, let my prayer rise, which in some churches they want it written out, others they don't. You know, I have like a sense before I get there. And so I think the more that the music director at a church can work with sort of whatever, you know, whatever their situation is and kind of relay that to me, that helps me to be sensitive when I come in. Or if there's a church that's like, hey, we've been singing like, you know, six of your songs for the past three years or something. It's like, okay, great. You know, so let's do one of those and add something different you haven't done or, you know, something. But I think I've always tried to write for specific situations, even if that situation was, you know, will you write a setting of the Nuketamidist for this jazz hymnal? I'm still, I, I try to write things that will be accessible, things that won't take a lot of time to learn in terms of the melody or, you know, having range, like thinking of range issues or... Or having a leap that the congregation still won't get right two years into singing the song. <laughs> <laughs> right. So... And and then I have some some music where it's best if there is a song leader or a cantor for for some of it or someone a soloist to sing verses or something. But I always try to think about how can this be something that's going to serve this particular community and then you know maybe have a life outside of that too. Yeah, yeah. Well, if it serves one community, there's a lot of overlap, a lot of similarities between communities. Yeah. It's been so nice to talk with you. Um, this, this has been, been quite a pleasure, and I thank you so much for this conversation. Sure. <laughs> it was nice to talk with you as well and to meet you. Thanks to Deanna Witkowski for this wonderful conversation. You can find out more about her at deannajazz.com and also at musicandthechurch.com slash 31. If you'd like to get in touch, send me an email at musicandthechurch at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I'm Sarah Bariza, and I'll be back next week with another episode of Music and the Church.